Haunted by Painted Teeth. Chapter 6 A Darkness. Hello, she called into the empty shop, eyeing the dust collected on every visible surface and beginning to wonder if she'd stumbled into a closed-down business. She meandered over to the front desk and gave the bell on the counter a gentle ring. At once, a man appeared from the back of the shop, striding so quickly towards her that she jumped back instinctually. Had it not been for the kind smile on his lips, she would have run out of the exit. "'Sorry to keep you waiting, my dear,' he said, his light eyes open wide so she could see both irises in their entirety. "'You've come for a wand, I suppose?' She only nodded, anxiety freezing her vocal cords. She wished she'd accepted her mum's offer to come into the shop with her, wished that she hadn't let her ego allow her nose to rise into the air and proclaim that she'd be fine on her own. In a whirl, he turned towards the stacks of boxes and reached up to the top shelf of the one nearest to him, withdrawing one that looked like a shrunken version of a shoebox. It was deep violet in color, and when he removed a slid before her, she found that the inside was lined in crushed velvet of the same shade. But the velvet was not the main attraction. No. What grabbed at her attention was the wand nestled amongst it. It was drawing her in, begging her to pluck it from the box. The pull was magnetic in feeling. She obliged her right thumb and index finger gently seizing the wand from its box. She didn't need to see the beaming grin on the shopkeeper's face to know that this wand was her wand. She could feel it. Something in her bones was clicking into place. A warmth was spreading through her body, and she could imagine shafts of light bursting through her organs into her bloodstream, rushing into every vein under every inch of skin. She jumped at the sound of the shopkeeper's voice. Ten and three-quarter inches of vinewood with a core of dragon heartstring, he breathed, his tone far away. Her eyes flicked up, and his silver ones were boring into her soul. She gripped the wand tighter, an uncharacteristic possessiveness taking hold of her. Go on, then, he urged. Give it a try. There was likely no need, because she couldn't imagine that this wand wasn't the wand for her. But her curiosity outweighed her logic, and hesitantly she flicked the wand in a semicircle in the air, only her wrist moving. From its tip shot out a beam of brilliant light, so bright that she had to look away. But the shopkeeper stared right into it, his face illuminated, turning his pale skin a golden yellow. Brilliant! he said, and his voice in the silence broke the spell, the light fading until she was blinking rapidly in an effort to readjust her eyes to the dim interior of the shop. You are a most powerful witch indeed, he murmured, and his eyes found her again, a chill dancing down her back. He led her over to the counter where she paid for the wand, reluctantly setting it back in its place in the velvet box. He tied a measure of thin black ribbon around it before offering it to her with a grin. I look forward to seeing where this wand takes you, miss. His statement ended on a higher pitch as he waited for her to fill in the rest of her name. She flushed. My name is... A flurry of pounding on her door pulled her ruthlessly out of her dream. Hazel, the voice shouted. Are you in there? There was another series of knocks on the door as she sprang from the bed and swung open the door to find Red with her hand curled into a fist, raised and poised to continue knocking. She rubbed her bleary eyes, taking in the sight of her friend already dressed in training clothes. What? she asked, dumbly. 
Red huffed. Did you sleep through the alarm? Breakfast started five minutes ago. Her eyes flew open, all traces of disorientation clearing, and she whirled around to the armoire, pulling out her own set of training clothes. Red stepped into the room and closed the door behind her, turning to give Hazel privacy as she tore off her pajamas and changed. I knocked on your door, but you didn't answer. I assumed you'd already gone down. Fully clothed, Hazel turned back. I must have been sleeping really deeply, she explained, reaching around Red to open the door. They scurried to the bathroom, where Hazel completed the morning routine of running a toothbrush hurriedly across her teeth and tongue and then pulling her hair into a messy ponytail. Red didn't continue the conversation until they were making their way down to the dining room, their quick steps on the stairs muffled from the carpet treads. Good dream, then? A flash of wide, silver eyes darted into her memory. Sort of, she muttered. As they sat at the table, Red made conversation with the others while Hazel tucked into a bowl of oatmeal, rotating the spoon on her tongue thoughtfully. It hadn't been a dream, she concluded, thinking back over the wand. It was the very same one that she used in training, and that feeling she'd had in the dream when her skin had made contact with the wand was a feeling she recognized from when she'd summoned the wand only two days ago. No, it was a memory. She wasn't sure of much these days, but she was sure of this. It was a memory. If only she hadn't been woken up before she could tell the shopkeeper in the memory her name. Regardless, it was still a good sign. A sign that her memories had a chance of returning, that she might regain her sense of identity once more. It was the kind of good news that should be shared with a friend, no? But when she cast at a glance over at Red, who was guffawing at something Joker had said, she already knew that she'd be keeping the memory to herself. At least for now. She liked Red, but she didn't yet know if she could trust her. Hell, the only person she could trust right now was herself, and even that notion was shaky, given that she had no information on who she even was. No, for now, she would stay quiet on the matter, at least until she learned more and could gather more intel. Sabini stopped by the table halfway through breakfast, informing them that they would be participating in lessons for the day rather than physical training. What do you mean by lessons? Pixie questioned. Hazel was grateful that Pixie had asked. She was wondering the same thing. Zabini smiled. Well, you lot have lost your memories. Lessons should help restore some of what you don't remember. Hazel froze, the spoon halfway to her mouth halting in place. The oatmeal slid off the utensil, landing back in the bowl with a splat. Suddenly, she couldn't wait for the breakfast hour to end, praying that time would speed up so she could get to the lessons faster. They were her first real chance at getting answers. Despite her best wishes, the seconds ticked by as slowly as ever as she finished her breakfast. She could barely tune into the discussion at the table, only catching some phrases here and there hypothesizing about what they'd learn at lessons. She was too busy thinking through the same questions in her own mind to pay any attention to the others' opinions. Absently, she wished that she hadn't tried meditation at the library the night before. Instead of clearing her mind like she assumed it should have, it only succeeded in making her get lost in her thoughts. Or perhaps her overthinking was occurring naturally, and she was unfairly assigning blame to the meditation. Besides, she hadn't been very good at it. She would require lots more practice before she'd be able to move on to the fun stuff, the actual occlumency. Mercifully, breakfast finally came to an end, and the group was escorted to a room on the second floor. They filed in through the doorway and found it to be set up like a classroom, a chalkboard at the front, and long tables stretching across the width of the room. 
She sat at the table in the second row, red sliding into the chair next to her with a smile. Take your seats, barked out a short woman as she strode in through the doorway and stood before them. Those who hadn't yet found a chair quickly settled as the woman's beady eyes surveyed their faces. Hazel could detect a hint of disgust in her expression. My name is Electo Caro, and I will be your instructor. You are not in school anymore, but I will expect you to behave as if you are. There will be no talking out of turn in this classroom, and you will raise your hand and wait to be called upon before you speak. She squinted at them. Do you have any questions? Hazel's hand shot up, and perhaps she was imagining it, but it almost appeared as though Caro was suppressing a sneer. What is it, Seventeen? It took her a moment to recover from being called by her number rather than Hazel, and in the seconds that passed, Caro's expression morphed into a scowl. Do not waste my time. Do you have a question? Yes or no? Y uh, yes, she stammered, and Caro raised her eyebrows expectantly. I was wondering what we would be learning. There was silence for a minute, and she could feel heat rushing to her cheeks. It wasn't her fault that she was curious. You will be learning what I decide to teach you answered Caro in a voice that betrayed her irritation at Hazel's question. She let her hand fall to her lap, a knot settling into her stomach. Red shot her a sympathetic glance, but she couldn't muster a smile in return. It had only been two days, and already it appeared that she had two enemies, Malfoy and Caro, two of the people who were in charge of helping her become a good soldier, of helping her recover the pieces of herself she'd lost. Now, let's begin. Over the next two hours, Caro hurtled through information as she paced in front of the first row's table. There were no textbooks or readings, just Caro relaying her knowledge. Hazel desperately wished she had a parchment and a quill so that she could take notes. Instead, she was forced to listen intently, trying to commit every word to memory. By the time it reached noon and they went downstairs for lunch, Hazel's mind was spinning with everything she'd learned. Caro had barreled through explaining the caste system of the world. Purebloods, like Caro, at the top, then halfbloods, then mudbloods, and then, at the very bottom, were muggles. She learned that muggles were uncivilized creatures with no magical ability, making them inferior to witches and wizards. Caro briefly explained the concept of evolution, describing muggles as people who were not fully developed. They weren't just deficient when it came to magic, but also when it came to their minds— they simply did not have the same capacity for knowledge and thinking that magical beings did. In short, they were basically just animals who happened to look a lot like them. Caro had conjured images of muggles participating in barbaric activities onto the chalkboard, murdering each other, causing bloodshed throughout hundreds of wars over the course of history, hunting defenseless animals. Hazel's stomach churned at the depictions. How could these muggles look just like wizard kind and yet be so brutish and primitive. She almost felt sad for them before she saw photos from something called the Holocaust. They seemed to have no problem killing each other, wiping out thousands and thousands of their own kind in a mass genocide. It was just horrendous. They reconvened after a nearly silent lunch, continuing to be confronted with the terrors over time that had been caused by muggles. Kara walked them through history, starting with the mass deaths at the hands of colonization, colonialism, and imperialism. They learned about so many wars that Hazel gave up trying to remember their names and their causes. Civil wars in practically every country, two different world wars, rebellions and revolutions and uprisings. These muggles were awful creatures, she concluded. 
With every new image that Caro conjured on the chalkboard, the sense of dread in her chest grew and grew until she was filled with a darkness that felt like it was sucking the life out of her. She'd hoped the lessons would help her remember things, but she didn't want to remember all of this horror. She thought she might prefer blissful ignorance. They ate dinner together in the same silence as they'd taken lunch. Evidently, everyone was feeling just as glum as Hazel, all of their vigor stolen from them with what they'd learned in the day. We're going to wander around. Do you want to join? Red asked as they stood from the table once dinner had ended. Hazel shook her head. Maybe I'll meet up with you later. The disappointment on Red's face was almost enough to encourage her to change her mind, but she held strong and departed from the other soldiers, following the familiar path back to the library. It had been an awful day, and what she needed now was solace in the form of reading. She collected the occlumency book from its spot on the shelf and settled again into the couch, tucking her legs under her. As she'd done the night before, she reread the steps on meditation and then set the book aside, readying herself to follow them. The first step was to get in the proper position, sitting on the edge of the couch with her hands resting in her lap. She squirmed slightly against the cushions, waiting until she was fully comfortable to continue on to the next step. The book instructed that she unfocus her eyes, and the chandelier hanging over the library blurred. Five deep breaths later, in through her nose and out through her mouth, she slowly allowed her eyes to close. Next was acknowledging her senses. She scanned through her body, noting how soft the couch cushion felt beneath her, how her training leggings felt against her hands in her lap. She detected the scent of old books and the faint aroma of the stew from dinner in her nostrils, and could taste the remnants of the cookie she'd eaten on her tongue. There was only silence in her ears. What followed was a series of additional body scans. She began at her toes and worked her way up, ending at her head. As she landed on each body part, she observed its level of comfort. She did a series of three scans, each one longer than the one before it. And though she hadn't meant to relax the parts of her body that were uncomfortable, each scan revealed fewer tensions and discomforts. By the end of the last scan, her body was fully and totally relaxed. Now that her body was completely calm, she focused on her breathing. In for five seconds and out for six, then resting for a beat before repeating the process. With each breath, she added one to her count, starting over when she reached ten. As she breathed, her thoughts were attempting to crowd her brain, sometimes bustling so loudly through her mind that she lost count of the breaths. Each time, she would quiet the thought, not allowing herself to explore it any further. The majority of the thoughts that piped up were about muggles and what she'd learned. Flashes of the horrors that Caro had showed them swept through her brain. She gently banished them, returning to counting. Eventually, the counting faded away, and the thoughts faded with it. She no longer needed to yell out the numbers in her head to keep the thinking at bay. Now her mind was just... blank. An empty journal upon which she could write anything she wanted. Wake up! A harsh voice spat, pulling Hazel from her dreamless sleep. Her eyes blinked open, startled to see Malfoy's blues peering at her from above. She jerked into a sitting position, realizing that, at some point in her meditation, she'd fallen asleep on the couch. "'You are aware that libraries are for reading and not sleeping, correct?' he asked, though she knew it wasn't a real question. "'Or are your accommodations not to your liking? Shall I send the house elves to move your things into a larger room?' She couldn't speak, her mouth dry, simply staring as he continued to mock her. "'Or perhaps you'd like silk sheets?' 
Finally, she regained her senses. That won't be necessary, she said, skipping the apology that her instincts demanded she provide. He wasn't worth the energy. And she doubted he would care for an apology anyway. He hadn't taken too kindly to her last one. He stepped back, leaning against the railing of the mezzanine and crossing his arms over his chest, fixing her with a studying look. It wasn't fully dark yet, and the light streaming in through the windows behind her casted a warm glow on his pale, rigid face. What are you doing up here anyway? She had the immediate thought to hide the book, but then his eyes shifted, and she knew he'd seen it. Reading, was all she replied. No, you weren't reading. Her eyebrows furrowed, and her mouth was opening to protest, but he continued. You were snoring. She was taken aback, unable to tell if this was a run-of-the-mill insult or if she actually did snore. She had no way to tell. What are you doing here? She fired back, not finding a suitable comeback quick enough. He paused, his eyes blank, and then that same faux sweet smile settled on his lips. Must we again discuss how you should speak to your superiors? He questioned. You're the one who's speaking to me, she retorted. You started it. She knew she sounded like an insolent child, but her mind was still hazy from sleep and proper replies were evading her. But even though it was a stupid response, it caused him to straighten his back and begin down the spiral staircase to the bottom floor. And now I shall end it. He sat once more at the center table, picking back up the texts he'd been reading. Part of her wanted to stay in the library, out of some competitive need to be the last person to leave, but exhaustion pricked at her eyelids and forced her jaw wide open in a yawn. When she descended the stairs and passed his table to leave, he didn't so much as look up. She collapsed onto her bed the moment she made it into her room, and sleep claimed her as swiftly as it had in the library. Only where that nap had refused her of any dreams, she fell from her small, colorless room at the compound into a stone-walled dormitory with ruby bedsheets and maroon curtains. She appraised herself in the full-length mirror, nervously patting down the periwinkle dress robes she donned as she heard the others leave for the ball. She'd told them that she just had some finishing touches to make and to head to the great hall without her. Part of her wanted to just rip off the dress and climb into bed, pretending that this night didn't exist, or maybe change into something different, let her hair down loose, and shove this costume to hell. Her eyes traced across her reflection. She didn't look like herself. The version of her staring back was sleeker and cooler, someone that she would normally be intimidated by. She looked good, that was undeniable, but she hardly recognized herself. She sniffed, leaning in closer to the mirror to wipe a stray bit of glitter from her cheek. Her face only inches from the glass surface, she searched her own eyes. Out of everything, her eyes were still the same. A light golden hazel with a minuscule rim of green around the iris, a familiar shock of fire beneath the surface. She took a deep breath. She'd fought a troll, a three-headed dog, dementors. She could handle going to a ball. It was only one night out of her entire life, and it would be over in the matter of a few hours. Surely she could manage it. She straightened her spine, took one last look at her reflection, and then made for the exit.